0: a very well-known passage, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith. And this is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance us to do. May God bless this reading of his word, for Christ's sake. Amen. I do thank you for the privilege of coming and of uh, being with you. If you think of me as a church member, I can't think of a greater honor than to be a member with you. I want to share with you some thoughts on Ephesians chapter two, verses five and six. And I make a confession. Since last year I have been turning over and over and over and over in my mind three Greek verbs and they appear in Ephesians chapter two verses five and six. Here's the first of them. God made us alive with Christ. Think of it. God, God the Father, made us alive with Christ. Sunet is the Greek verb it's music to my soul I'm even dreaming about it second God raised us up with Christ God the Father raised us up with Christ Sune we have been raised with Christ. Thirdly, God has seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Sune Here are three Greek verbs and they are telling us not about what will be but about what is. They are used by the inspired apostle to tell us of the grandeur of what it is to be a disciple Jesus Christ, my beloved Saviour, was dead. And God the Father raised him. I was dead in transgressions and sins. And God the Father has made me alive. jesus my savior was prone in the tomb and god the father raised him up till the angels should say he is not here he is risen and god the father has loosed me from the death bands and given me the exhilaration of a resurrection life not pre-death the poor old body will face that but post-death I am raised with Christ, and God the Father has seated me, seated you in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Oh, you say, well, that's heaven, no, no, the apostle is defining what it is now to be seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Recently I took three Lord's Day morning services at Shettleston New Parish Church, and it was a great honour to meet the friends there. I'm friendly with the, the, the Locum, who's looking after that congregation, and I'm friendly with the interim moderator there, two godly men I love to know. Well, I took those three verbs and opened to them on three consecutive Sunday mornings. Oh, you say, well, he's going to give us an old sermon. No, I'm not. Every word has been rephrased, redefined. Every thought has been put into the furnace again because I thought I must come to my friends at Airdrie with something fresh from the Lord. And it is this He has seated us in heavenly places. Christ Jesus. He has seated us with him. The preposition with seems to be significant. We have been made alive with Christ. That's God the Father's work, with Christ. We have been raised with Christ. That's God the Father's work. We are with Christ. So God the Father looks at us and he looks at his beloved son and he says, Ah, I have done the same thing for my beloved son and for for this believer. But now, it seems to me that the Saviour has that the, that the apostle has used the preposition with in a different sense. He has seated us with him. With whom? With God the Father. God the Father has seated us with him. We were just singing a moment ago. He brought me into his banqueting house. And his banner over me was love let me put it like this there at the door of the banqueting house is the redeemer jesus god the son who has accomplished a full salvation and god the father comes down to the door of the banqueting house he said oh my beloved son and he brings him in to the banqueting house and to the top table and there is the banner of love and he seats him there and then God the Father retraces his steps and there the door of the banqueting house beloved disciple you are standing God the Father looks at you and there's no distinction between the love with which he greeted his son and the love with which he greets you and he embraces you and he brings you in to the banqueting house and to the top table and he seats you alongside his beloved son then he sits there and over you is the banner of love he has seated us with him in heavenly places now there's an enigma here and i've thought about it of course i have i mean i've literally page after page after page after page of Pains taking notes that I might get to grips with this. Where are these heavenly places? I mean, I can easily think of heaven, but the tense is present. The emphasis is now. He has now. And the Greek is emphatic. He has now seated us. In heavenly places in Christ Jesus, and the the mysteries is this, where are these places? Where are these places? And my answer is twofold. it was twofold when I preached at Shettleston, but it 's the other way around now because this is an entirely different sermon. May I ask you to Observe the absolute, unprecedented, unqualified, unexampled beauty of the communion. There is no place on this earth that is more heavenly than the communion table. He has seated us in heavenly places in Christ Jesus with him. Think of the communion. Think of this ordinance, this sweet gospel ordinance. Think of the fulfilment of it. We read in Luke 22, When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God you ever thought about that when will the kingdom of God be fulfilled my beloved friend it is fulfilled already if God has made you alive together with Christ And if God has raised you together with Christ, can the kingdom of God in its fulfillment be any other defined than that? I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover. Oh, the breast. Of our beloved saviour is thrilled this 30th of October that at Airdrie we meet in heavenly places in Christ Jesus think of the miracle of it Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies all around us are men and women who are indifferent to the things of God, are militantly opposed to the things of God. Even our legal system seems at times to be inclining towards an opposition to the things of a Christian heritage. But thou preparest a table before me, in the presence of mine enemies. When we come to the table, we are seated, seated. It is a time of holy relaxation. We are in the banqueting house. We are celebrating victory. Note the benediction of it. We read in Psalm 65, verse 4, blessed is the man you choose and bring near to live in your courts. What a, what a benediction. The um, 17th century poet, pastor, George Herbert, who can put into a few lines of poetry more biblical and gospel truth than many a prose writer can put into hundreds of pages, wrote a little poem about communion. And in it, he gives the title, Love to Jesus Christ. This is what he writes, love bade me welcome, yet my soul drew back, guilty of dust and sin, but quick-eyed love, observing me grow slack from my first entrance in, drew nearer to me, sweetly questioning if I lacked anything. A guest I answered, worthy to be here, love said, you shall be here. I, the unkind, ungrateful, ah, my dear, I cannot look on thee. Love took my hand, and smiling did reply, Who made thee eyes? But I, truth Lord, but I have marred them, Let my shame go where it doth deserve, Know you not, says love, who bore the blame, my dear. Then I will serve. You must sit down, says love, and taste my meat. So I did sit and eat the benediction to be seated in heavenly places. And notice the prophecy of it. For God has ordained two tables, one this side of the river of death and the other on the other side of the river of death. We read in Revelation 19, verses 8 and 9, the angel said to me, Write, blessed are those invited to the marriage supper, of the Lamb. On the other side, another table, and those who are qualified to come to this table already have the golden invitation to, re- to go to the table, the marriage supper of the Lamb. The glory of it, and the beauty of it, heavenly places. However, secondly, there are only two points, so we're almost through. Here's the second point. The heavenly place, or the heavenly places, plural, that God the Father has made us sit in is fellowship, fellowship, fellowship with others who love Jesus Christ, who adore his name, are moved with astonishment at Jesus Christ. Fellowship is a word that's misunderstood. Fellowship is not companionableness of shared interests. It's not the affinity of culture or nationality or language or place. It's not the mutual effectiveness of combined skills and expertise. It's not the tidy, precise agreement on every doctrinal and denominational t It's not the loaded preoccupation, of schedules and programmes and objectives. All these things may have their place and be important, but fellowship is something infinitely deeper. It is the unimagined potential of heaven found here. Do you hear me say this? It is the unimagined potential of heaven found here. In Ephesians 1, verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Heavenly places, fellowship, to meet together, This sense of the Spirit of God binding us together. We've had the denominational assembly, and it's important. And I tell you, frankly, I miss Baptists. I am a Baptist root and branch, to the depth of my being. I believe in the congregational polity of the gathered church. I believe in the baptism of believers. I believe in the communion I believe these things and I love these things and they they are deeply ingrained in my thinking. But oh, the fellowship of God's people it leaps across all barriers. Men and women who love Jesus Christ. When we meet in fellowship it's the unimagined potential of heaven. If you look through the history of this race of ours, this human race, again and again and again and again, times beyond number, God's most gracious acts have started. When men and women who love Jesus Christ find their fellowship together. But secondly, this fellowship is a demonstration of the divine wisdom which thrills the very heavens In chapter 3, verse 10, God's intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms. Now, now. Not then, now. Now. God is, is exhibiting demonstrating his manifold wisdom. The Greek word. So is it sputapolos? It doesn't mean multicolored, it means multi, multicoloured. The wisdom of God. It is multi, multi-colored. The identity and the uniqueness of the individual is not destroyed, but is fulfilled. God binds us together in such a way that the the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, they, they leap, lean over the balustrade of heaven and they say oh look at that congregation at Airdrie there is a demonstration of the manifold wisdom of God well I I, I close with that really and tell you about an old book of mine it's a hundred years old and in it uh, the writer tells of a Lutheran pastor called Pastor Von Budelschwing, who exercised his ministry near Bielefeld in Westphalia. And uh, his chief ministry was to minister to those who, one way or another, had been broken in the battle of life, whether physically, emotionally, mentally, in a thousand ways. And Pastor von Bodelscheng ministered to them and and he he had erected a complex of buildings called the Bethel. And there these broken people, were ministered to. And in this complex of buildings, there was one building called the Brocken Sammlung. And into this one building, all sorts of ruined things came books that were falling apart, toys that had lost their heads. Dolls that were disfigured. Pieces of jewellery that had been wrenched out of shape. Things that were rusted and tarnished. And they were all brought to the broken family. And there they were put into the hands of these people who themselves were broken. And first of all, all these things were disinfected, that all the corruption and the germs and so on was just taken away. And then with infinite delicacy and patience, these broken things were mended until that which came broken went out new. Jesus Christ, the Savior, came to Brocken Samlung when he came to Calvary. And there the peerless Son of God broken he himself was broken and then in the mercy and sweet saving grace of God he triumphed until he could take into his hands our broken lives our ruined lives and with infinite empathy and with a delicacy and the intricacy of the matchless grace of God the Spirit he takes us and reshapes and remolds and redefines the ragged outlines of our broken lives till it is said in Scripture, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, he's a new creation. And that's fellowship. He has seated us together with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Isn't that marvelous? Let us pray. Our gracious God, we pray that with the infinite dexterity of thy lovely Spirit, we may be reshaped, remade unto thy glory in this broken world, for Christ's sake. Amen.